0: I do want to do some review, and I'll I'll probably be a little bit uh, repetitive uh, tonight. I want to read from Romans chapter 12, beginning with verse 9. It was our text from last Wednesday night. I want to read this again. I'm teaching part two of character exemplified. And uh, character is, of course, it's our core. It's who we are. It's what we manifest. You, You can act a certain way now and then. But bottom line, your character is what you'll ultimately manifest. So in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, the Bible said, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Let me talk about that word, dissimulation. Dissimulation is bottom line, people that feel justified in telling a half-truth or withholding part of the truth. Let love be without deceit deceit in that you're not totally deceitful but you're partially deceitful. I read something yesterday uh, somebody said, if you only buy in the half truth, be careful that you grab the right half. And uh, there's a lot of merit <coughs> in that statement. but let love be without dissimulation the poor or hate that which is evil. cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, just simply means to pay your bills on time and do financially what you say you're going to do. Be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you. Uh, And curse not, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be uh, not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide, Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if, any, if thy enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. Last Wednesday night I introduced this with a long explanation, and I will edit some of, it, uh, some of the introduction tonight. But church culture has moved to a very challenging arena, and, and especially here in the United States, where uh, people look at church as kind of like a restaurant. Let me go check out your menu, and if you if you serve what I like, then, then I'll be a part of it. I call it preference-based, preference-based. I want to go to a church that accommodates my feelings. I want to go to a church that accommodates my belief system. I want to attend a church that's in alignment with how I think. And uh, that's where modern-day culture, church culture, has moved it Uh, I've literally had people tell me, I don't care what the Bible says, that people say that. I want to say to us tonight, it it doesn't matter what you think church is, the church that Jesus bled and died for is going to be a church that's built on what he says. Now there may be other churches that exist on other platforms and with other foundations, but the one that he'll rapture out of here is going to be a church that is built on what he says. And I find across the board that God means what he says, and he also says what he means. So my point tonight in this introduction is that people have become preference-based. We're this way on our job. You work a job a length of time. If you don't like it, you quit and go find another one. If you go to church for a while at a certain place and you don't like that church anymore, you leave it and you go to another one. And uh, uh, if you have a car and you don't like it, you go trade it in on another one and, and what have you. We, we have this, life has to suit my choices and my preferences. If it doesn't, then I'll do whatever's necessary to make that happen. Uh, I contribute this mentality to the daily blitz of media, especially articles on the Internet, blogs, books, and so on. What I'm saying here tonight is our personal choices, our personal desires, uh, our personal preferences has become our core instead of Christian character being our core, preference has become our core. Our core of character and quality has been replaced with preference. Preference eliminates the challenge of hypocrisy. I can be honest in my preferences. I don't have any hypocrisy if I manifest my preferences. But if I want to manifest godly character, which is based on what the Word of God teaches, then I can't do that. So since I can't live up to the Bible, I'll live up to my own preferences. Y'all see? Kind of follow the, the vein I'm, I'm talking to you about tonight. So kind of like the book of Judges, the church culture that we live in today has embraced that concept that I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes, not necessarily what God wants me to do. Well, I still believe tonight that if you're going to be a person of, of Christian character, know if you folks are understanding totally where I'm coming from with this. I don't know if it makes sense to you or not. It's easy to, it's easier, it's a course of of lesser resistance to live a life that I choose to live that I believe I have God's blessing and sanction on rather than changing things about me that's not in accordance with scripture and what have you. It's easier to take the the lesser challenge here, and I'll just live it the way I feel like it's, and the way I think is right, and the way I, et cetera, et cetera. What I'm teaching tonight, what I began last night, is I believe true Christian character becomes our DNA. If, if we have a steady diet of the Word of God, we have a, com, a consistent relationship with the Spirit of God, we, we're prayerful we're studious in the Word of God, we live it, we practice it, we manifest it, and so on. Sooner or later, it becomes who you are. I told a story uh, in a sermon uh, several Sundays ago about, it's It's a fictitious story, an, an author of the late 1800s wrote about a, a very ugly man, his appearance, his face was very ugly, unattractive, and he fell in love with a very beautiful woman, and of course she'd have nothing to do with him, so... She said, I love everything about you, but your face is just hideous, ugly, and I can't marry you, I can't, I can't look at you every day. So he went to a, a costume designer and had a face made that stuck to his ugly face, just covered it up. And so he started flirting with her again, and she didn't recognize that it was a man with a mask. Now, it's a fictitious story. She fell in love with him and married him. And a number of years later, several kids kids later, many years of marriage later, someone from his past popped up and said, hey, I know who you are. You're that guy that had the real ugly face. And so he exposed him. And the wife just fell apart and said, I can't believe you deceived me like that and what have you. And the man said, well, I'm, I want to come clean then. And uh, y'all have found me out, so I'm going to come clean. He took the mask off, but he wore the mask so long that his face took on the impression of that mask. He became what he wore. And there's there's a, a principle, a huge principle in that, that if we can push our preferences and our personal taste aside and take on the spirit and character of God, and it's going to disagree with us. It's going to agree with our humani- humanism, uh, humanistic way of thinking. It's going to disagree with our carnality as people but if we wear that long enough then sooner or later you begin to take on the image of Christ everybody say amen so if you're going to be a Christian person that is that the Bible wants you to be that God wants you to be then you have to get it in your core And once it's on the inside, then you begin to become that person that you've practiced and rehearsed being. After a while, it becomes who you are. So when I talk about character manifested, that's what I mean. Character is the aggregate of features or a combination, a mixture of features and traits that form the individual nature of some person. Um... One such feature or trait is known as a characteristic. Uh, Moral or ethical quality is considered to be character. Moral or ethical quality is considered to be character. Qualities of honesty, courage, integrity, reputation. These things are attributes and a byproduct of Good, solid, wholesome character. Now, those of you that's attended Grace for any length of time knows that this is this is my medium through which I teach on a regular basis. It doesn't really make any difference to me what you look like on the in, on, on the outside. You can put a mask over anything. You can dress anything up and make it look like masquerading has been a a sport, if you will, a lifestyle. For a lot of people, for a lot of years, they want to change their appearance. They'll go to a party and masquerade. They'll wear a mask or a costume. These things are very prevalent in our society today. I would rather be a person of character, of honest character, of pure honesty, etc. I want that to be my core. Not something I exercise once in a while, not a mask I put on sometimes, but I want that to be me, okay? I hope you get the point. I also like to define character, especially in the context of this presentation of always doing the right thing no matter what. Character does not mean you're perfect. Character doesn't mean you're perfect, but character is not necessarily the absence of a desire for revenge it's not necessarily an absence of being spiteful or even jealous or proud. We're still human. And a lot of circumstances can bring our human ways to the surface. I'm talking about our core, who we are every day, day in, day out, and what have you. Sometimes we falter. Sometimes human, the fact that we're human comes to the surface. But a person of character even when a desire for revenge or being spiteful or je- being jealous or proud or so on, when these feelings do rise to the surface, a person of character is quick to repent of it, asking God and the ones who were offended by that action for forgiveness, that includes your family, your friends, and everyone. A person of character will do that. I'll be objective, I'll be transparent, I messed up, I'm sorry, and you'll strive to make yourself a better person, and certainly not let that repeat. So I'm using tonight as a model, and this is kind of an oxymoron to me because the man that I'm using as a model for this lesson tonight was, was not a perfect man, and he continually worked on his character. David had a good core. David of the Old Testament, he had a good core, But there was a lot of bonehead things he did, man. There's a lot of just stupid things that he did. But every time he did something stupid, he immediately fessed up to it, if you will. He got it right. He took care of it. He didn't try to hide it. He wasn't like Achan that hid things in his tent. David, when he was confronted, yes, I did it, and I'm sorry, and it'll never happen again. I do know he committed adultery with Bathsheba, but how many more times after that did he do it? You see what I'm saying? That's character. So let me talk to you, and I'll again review from a little bit of last Wednesday briefly. But uh, David had a core that was solid and that had a desire to want to be right and to do the right thing, and, and he was always quick to repent when he failed at that. And so he was considered a man after God's own heart. So David, first of all, was right in desire. He had no ulterior motives. He was not driven by a, a secret agenda. With David, what you saw is what you got. He, he was, he was up front with who he was. He had no ulterior motives. There was no hypocrisy in him. Good or bad, whatever was in him was manifested. And this is the beauty of David. Whatever was in him, like it or not, he manifested it. He didn't hide it. He didn't bury it. He didn't pretend like it wasn't there. He didn't live the role of a hypocrite trying to convince everybody that I'm do that i not an adulterer. He didn't come try to convince people of that. That was in his heart and he did it. And then he had the, the woman's wife bumped off. And he admitted all of that. And he got it right. He never did it again. He got those issues right. I want you folks to hear me. I understand we live in a society where we can forgive, but by God, it's hard to forget. But somehow or another, David survived his mistakes, his failures, and what have you, because he had a core in him that wasn't, he didn't try to justify what I'm doing. It wasn't based on his preferences. He broke the law of God. He knew he broke the law of God. He repented to God and he repented to the people it happened to. And he got it straight. And he moved on with his life. And people loved him for it. So what I'm saying here tonight is character doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're honest. You're, you're, you're pure. And if there's some bad things going on, then I'm going to get that straight. And get it straight between me and God, and so on. So David was right in his desires, and here's where it manifests. First of all, is he had a desire to destroy the enemy, and I made a a, a very passionate point about this last Wednesday night that David was taking care of his father's flock. I don't know of a lot of kids that really care about their mom and daddy stuff. many of you have ever had kids that like it when they're 13? Dad, I love your car, man. I'm going to go out there and wash it and wax it. <laughs> Dad would have a stroke. He'd end up in ICU somewhere. <laughs> but David was not protecting his flock. I want you folks to know, those of you that are part of grace You don't have to make this your church to protect it. Don't let that be your mindset. This is God's church. This is my father's church, and I'm going to protect it. I'm going to protect its people. He had a desire to destroy the enemy. I'm not going to let anything come in to what belongs to my father and destroy it. He wasn't willing to sacrifice one sheep, and he didn't do this just once, but he did it twice with the lion and the bear. Uh, God was moving in the heart of David. David worshipped, he praised, while he watched those sheep and so on. And and there came a time when God was ready for him to step up a little bit. And you know the story of him and Goliath. But that story started off with obedience. So David proved that I am responsible and I feel accountable to my father's flock. So God is wanting now him to step up to another level. So let me see what you do along the line of obedience. David, I want you as a little shepherd servant boy to take a lunch to your brothers. And when he got there and he heard what Goliath was saying, he couldn't handle it, man. That was his core. you understand that? His core was not an adulterer. His core was not a murderer. His core was, I am not going to let anything happen to my daddy's sheep, and I'm not going to let anything happen to God's people. And if I have to go out there and fight the dude, I will. I read this week, and it's very interesting, conviction is something you're willing to die for. But mandate is something you're willing to shed your blood for to see it spread. David had a mandate. and I want us as people of grace to let the kingdom of God become a mandate to us. Not only am I going to stand for conviction in what's right, and I'm going to be real hard-headed about what's right, but I'm willing to take it a step further. I'll do whatever it takes to spread it. and That's what David was willing to do. He obeyed his father, and he was willing to serve his brothers, and that qualified him to fight the giant. Listen to Pastor. He was willing to obey his father and serve his brothers. Charlie come ask me to help with the offering who's they think he is I ain't helping with that go find somebody else he's in obedience to the father can you not serve your brother oh but brother Murphy I'm a one God apostolic tongue talking okay the next time he asks you to help him with the offering why don't you hop out in the aisle and help him put your Christianity where your mouth is Is that your core? Is that your core? Or do you have something else on the inside? And I'm saying that with the offering be anything. I need some help setting up furniture. I need some help moving furniture around the church or at my house. Can you come help me? Are you willing to serve your brothers? Are willing to serve them? David had a desire. Let me hurry on. You know what upset him about Goliath's thing? essentially was insulting the people of God, Goliath was. David couldn't handle it. You're not going to insult God's people. And I think we ought to reach a point where if you're going to start beating up the people I go to church with, you, you're involving me now because those are my brothers and sisters, and I'm not going to tolerate it. My ears aren't garbage cans, and I'm not going to tolerate all of your mouth about things, about not just this church, but church people in, in, in the community, in the area. We're all supposed to be the people of God, supposedly going to the same place. He had a desire that all Christians' reputation be protected. The third thing I talked about last Wednesday night was David had a desire to build God a house. At any cost, didn't matter what it took, David believed that God was worthy of a place, an incredible place, a beautiful place. A place that no amount of money was a waste. God deserved a house and it became Solomon's temple. But the desire started with David. Um, So let me begin tonight with David had a desire to please. Everybody say to please. He had a desire to please. This is his core. Now he's not a perfect man, you understand that. But this is his core. You understand he had a desire to build God's house. He had desired desire to protect the reputation of God's people. Dave, this was his core. This is who he was. It wasn't his preferences. This was his core. By nature, this is who he was. So to begin tonight, he had a desire to please. David had a servant's heart. He obeyed his father in bringing his brother's food. He obeyed his king when Saul called on him to play his harp and chase away evil spirits. So David has shown in his early development of relationship with God and it's something that God can use. It's a huge attribute that God can use, especially when it's in your core, its character. God saw that David was willing to serve and he was willing to obey anybody that asked him to. I'm obeying my father to bring my brother's lunch. I'm obeying my king. He's asked me to come play my harp because he has something troubling him. This is amazing to me. David starts to play, and his music, his praise, and his worship begins to convict Saul. Saul picks up a javelin or a spear and throws it at him and tries to kill him. And David ran out and ran for his life. Saul called him back. Man, I'm sorry that happened. Come back and let's do it again. David went again. It's his core. And what did Saul do? He threw a javelin at him again. Oh, I ain't going back there, man. Preacher burned me one time and he'll never do it again. Is that what you want in your core? Is that who you're made up of? I don't like what goes on. I can't see the benefit of what goes on. I'll I'll be honest with you and, and some of the folks... that that I'm going to mention tonight or here tonight, but there was some misunderstanding about last service, last Sunday service. There was some some parents that misunderstood what we were trying to do, and I think as it all turned out, everybody got on board. The support ultimately was unbelievable. People participated, and our young people, are, I believe, are going to be better because of it. If you weren't here Sunday, you need to go online and listen to that message. Dave Bunch preached an absolute masterpiece this past Sunday morning. But I appreciated the beauty and the spirit and the, the attitude that ultimately culminated at this past Sunday service. People misunderstood. But there was a core in people that says, I may not understand the whole thing or whatever, but I know the heartbeat of that church, and they're not trying to hurt anybody, so we're going to go and we're going to support it anyway, and they did, and it worked out phenomenal. And I appreciate it. I deeply appreciate it. David was obedient whether he agreed or not. And when Saul threw the javelin at him, it didn't chase him away forever. He came back and did it again because that was his core. He was forgiving, he was understanding, and I just want to serve. I want to serve. I want to be obedient and serve. David served the Lord faithfully by serving those to whom he was subjected to. David was humble, he was obedient, and he was willing. That was his core. This is not a preference-based man. This is a man full of character. He didn't go where he thought it was the right place for him to go. You don't go play your harp for a king when you know he's going to throw a javelin at you. But character says, my king needs me, and I'm going back. Somebody said everything a person does has a motive or purpose behind it. Y'all believe that? Everything every person does has a motive, a purpose behind it. People are motivated by their desires, whether good or evil. If a person is right with God and his desires are right, then his actions will be upright and just. If you have a bent towards God and doing godly things and doing right things that are right, that's what you're going to manifest because that's your core. If it's not your core, then you practice those things long enough until it becomes your core. David wanted to be right in relationship. David demonstrated over and over again that his walk with God was priority to him. He demonstrated this over and over again. Now, again, I'm not trying to sugarcoat David's story. He did a lot of stupid things, but he always fell on the mercy of people, the people that he offended, and he always fell on the mercy of God. He wanted to be right in relationship. David had a conscience, and he couldn't handle it when it was guilty. Because his core said, I have to be right. David was willing to let his life become an example so he could receive the anointing and blessing of God. David was willing to become accountable and responsible. It's character. I'm not going to flee away from the things that I've been asked to do and called to do and urged to do and things that I even desire to do. I'm not going to cave in and let my flesh and my fleshly desires become my core. I'm going to keep that core part of me right with God so I can always have that God blessing, that God connect, that God sanction. So in return, God directed David through his youth. God honored the core that of character that was on the inside of David. So God directed David in his youth. God was with him when he killed the lion, God was with him when he killed the bear, and God was with him when he killed the giant. He did that as a youth. Most commentators believe these things happened in the life of David before he was 16 years old. Because he had a core, he had a bent toward God. He had a, a character about him that appealed to God. Now, a preference-based person would have said, I ain't going after that line. That thing would chew me up. No, it'll rip me apart, man. <laughs> Doing that, I'm going down easy street. I'm going to do this the way I think it ought to be done. My dad, look, he's lost sheep before, and it ain't a big deal, and he always works through it. That ain't how David felt. His core, his core was, I'm going. I'm not going to let the enemy destroy something that belongs to my father. So God directed him through his youth. Now watch this. This is where some of you maybe get crossways with me. God, God, everybody say God. God directed David through his transgression. He didn't cause it to happen. It wasn't the will of God for it to happen. But when you commit transgression, you need to listen right now. When you commit transgression, you don't throw God out, don't throw him out of your life. God still has his hand on you, and he'll direct you out of it if you keep your core right. You don't get bitter. I don't get spiteful. I don't want revenge. I want to be repentant. I want to be contrite. I want to be broken. I want God to remake me. I want God to rebuild me. See, we don't do this stuff in Pentecost. In Pentecostal ranks, if you sin, (laughs) especially if you commit adultery, buddy, you have had it in Pentecost. I'm saying... I'm saying Pentecost because that's what I know it may be that way in other denominations. But I disagree with that. I'm not giving anybody a license now to go out and do something stupid. But if it happens, I think, and the last time I checked, the New Testament teaches that when you come back to God through repentance that there is therefore now no condemnation. I believe God can forgive that. I believe God can forgive homosexuality. I I put a lot of stock in the blood, man. I believe it can forgive anything. And I believe it can forgive anything a million times over. Peter said, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times in a day. And Jesus said, 70 times seven. It's to an exponent. I mean, you, you just go out there and it's limitless at what God can forgive. We need to understand that as Christian people. I'm not giving a license to anything sinful. Don't take this out of context. But if you do, and don't anybody run out the door and say, Oh, good, man, I can go commit adultery tonight and come right back to the altar Sunday morning and pray through and everything's fine. No, 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 no. There's a price tag attached. And David paid the price. But my point is, is that God didn't throw him out and David didn't feel like God threw him out. I'll confess my sin and I will take the punishment. I'll pay Society, the kingdom of God, I'll pay my dues. But God is still going to keep his hand on me. And even through the time when I'm living out my punishment, God still has his hand on me. And he's going to lead me out of this. You can look at me funny if you want, but there's hundreds of people in scripture that sinned greatly. No, it was not the will of God. But God didn't throw him out either. We love to hoop and holler about Moses because he conducted the biggest jailbreak that's ever happened in human history. He killed a man. God, it was not the will of God that happened, but God led him through that transgression. He had to spend 40 years on the backside of a desert because of it. We would call that a 40-year prison term. But God taught Moses some things, and he turned the table, and where Pharaoh said, I'm going to chunk you out in the middle of the desert and the wild animal will eat you, God said, no, I'm going to preserve you, Moses, because I have a greater purpose for your life. And so he preserved him for 40 years. At the end of it, he showed him a burning bush, and boom, he was right back in Egypt, freaking them people out with all kind of God stuff. That's what God does. He served his term. He paid the price, but God still kept his hand on him. God directed David through his sin with Bathsheba, which was lust of the flesh. He directed him through his murder of Uriah. He paid a price. He sure did. He paid the price. David committed premeditated sin or iniquity in the murder of Uriah. He planned it. I want to send him out to the front lines of the battle, and I want a Philistine to thrust him through with the sword. Kill him. As evil as the heart of David was and as evil as his actions were, he always did the right thing. He humbled himself in true repentance in true remorse. And he put his fate and his future and his destiny in the hands of God. God directed David through his youth. He directed him through transgression. God directed David through circumstances. God directed David through all of that difficult time with Saul when Saul chased him like a dog through the, around the hills of Judea uh, back in those days. David had at least two opportunities to kill Saul and wouldn't do it, but God kept his hand on him. And When his own son Absalom came and wanted to take the throne away from him and did for a while, David was still running around out in hills and caves. He, he, he knew his way around by now because he had done it for years with Saul. Now he's doing it with his son. He's still had the hand of God on him and no matter no matter no matter how he was treated no matter how he was treated he responded he always responded the right way by doing the right thing so how can we be right with God. I want to say first and foremost tonight, the only way you can really be right with God is you have to spend time with God. You can't have, you can't be right in your marriage, man, without spending time with your spouse. Why don't you separate for about four or five years and then go out on a date four or five years later and just see how warm and cozy and everything is between you and your spouse. Put your marriage... For a week. I ain't talking to him or her for a week. I'm going this way and I'm going that way and doing this. Just break off communication for a while. Try it for two or three days. I know some marriages that if the spouses aren't speaking to each other over five minutes, they're nervous. I know what I'm talking about. How is it, do you think? You can have all of this great Christian character if you don't spend time with God. You keep God in the front part of your brain 24-7. The job never takes a place of God. The remodeling job at the house, if anybody's doing one, I don't know about it and don't take that personal. Whatever it is, it's a distraction in your life. Nothing ever takes the place of God. David said, I meditate on His Word day and night. His praise is continually in my mouth. We have to live with God, not church. Don't just dwell on, well, they're remodeling the church. Oh, my goodness, So and so's the latest new Sunday school teacher. Oh my goodness! And you know, brother Charlie asked brother so and so to be an usher, and he has no idea what da 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 and all that. That ain't what. That ain't walking with God. That's just being stupid. And it's just a huge, long waste of brain power and time. But you think about God. You walk with God. You talk to God when you're in your car. You talk to God when you're in your job. and I'm not talking about sitting down in the boss's office and while he's on the phone a few minutes, you decide to intercede right there in his office. Oh, God. I pray, oh, God. That's not what I'm talking about. Again, that's being stupid. When the boss hangs up the phone, you're fired. (laughs) But you can sit there and in your mind, And even whispering out of your mouth, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God, you mean more to me. God, I love you more and more every day. Just do that in your car. Just spend time with him. Just spend time with him. I remember when Sister Murphy and I were dating. How many of you tonight that are here that are married can remember when y'all were dating or courting, whatever the one? <laughs> Nancy, nothing? Julia, nothing? I mean, Sister Nixon's hand shot straight up, and that was 100 years ago, man. Y'all don't remember nothing? How many years ago was it? 58. I remember, <clears throat> I remember the perfume she used to wear, and I can remember, I can tell you what she had on the first night I kissed her. Man, oh, we had the best smooch on the planet, first time. <laughs> that was some good smooch, boy. And my heart was just pounding, pitter-patter, petter, patter, boom 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 boom-boom-boom-boom-boom-boom-boom. She backed up about a foot and she said, why did you do that? Boy, she killed that moment, man. <laughs> I don't know, bonehead, why do you think I did it? <laughs> but I remember, we used, to walk, we, used to walk, we used to walk around the block where they lived. As a matter of fact, there's one block over right there. I mean, just right there. We was walking down the side one walk one night. We had been friends for a year. Honest to God, she'll tell you. We didn't kiss and hug, kiss and hug, smack your sweetie on the mug. We didn't do none of that for a year. And we was walking down the sidewalk one night, and we rubbed hands, and it was just an accident. Our hands touched, and it was bloop. And then that night concluded with an awesome kiss, man. I think about those days. Some awesome days you ever think about your early days with Jesus? Anybody ever think about it? Remember when you got the Holy Ghost? Two? They don't get it. We've been doing this for months and even years. When you come on Wednesday night, set up to the front. When I ask you a question on Wednesday night, raise your hand. It's a yes or no question. It's not a trap. <coughs> Sometimes marriage gets stale, don't it? Raise your hand. Boy, I got some response on that one, man. I don't remember when I dated, but I know I hate the jerk now. <laughs> it's kind of what happens to Jesus, ain't it? Here's a time I used to love him. There was a time I couldn't wait to grab a hold of the Bible and devour everything it said. But man, it just kind of reached a point. It's like that cartoon I saw years ago, the old couple about James and Sarah's age. <laughs> Riding down the road one day. And she's on her side of the car and he's driving, of course, and she said, Honey, how come we don't sit close like we used to? And he said, I haven't moved all of you wives think about that you want something out of your husband you want him to be nice slide over put your hand on his leg that was always cool when we were dating man you had your you got you got to put your foot on the on the accelerator brother Jason and when y'all curl courting and flirty I'm glad our young people aren't in here we just had a true love weight <laughs> service this past <laughs> Sunday Boy, you got your leg on the gas like that, and she just puts her hand right there, and boy, just ride for hours, man. It take me two hours to go somewhere; it normally took two minutes. I just didn't want to move her hand, man. <clears throat> Y'all don't laugh at me. You did the same thing, man. How come? What what happened with the our honeymoon with Jesus? Where did it go? Why did this? Why has the relationship gotten stale? Did he move or is he still driving? If you want to be right with God, you have to spend time with God. Sister Murphy and I both have recently commented to each other. And uh, most mornings we even share with each other. we I have a devotion. She has a devotion. She's usually up much earlier than me. And she don't want to wait. And I don't blame her. She gets up at like four o'clock every morning. I've just gone to bed. I ain't getting up. So anyway, we share our devotions with each other. And man, wait till you hear this. And so we'll read the scripture and share the devotion and what have you. And just we've both gotten to where just recently that just really look forward to that that morning devotion of spending time with God. You have to spend time with God. You have to take time, you have to make time to read your Bible. And I'm going to tell you folks something. I find it amazing at what your schooling drug you through. You went through algebra and some of you passed it with flying colors. The rest of us just barely crossed the finish line, man. Stuff's like Greek to me and uh, world geography. I don't care what the capital of Belgium is what am I going to use that for and I do understand I progressed a little further in geography that I did, I did learn that Hawaii and Alaska were not next to each other <laughs> somebody in here will never live that down probably more than one you just won't admit it <laughs> they're not together but it's amazing how you plow through all of that stuff at school. But, boy, you pick up your Bible and just don't have a clue. It's English and a literary work of art. It's the Word of God. And when I just get into, like, 1 Kings, and I'm reading about David being anointed king and how he fights Goliath and kills the bear, I just don't understand that, Brother Murphy. You know why you don't understand the Word of God? Is You always pick the most complicated part to start don't go to the book of Revelation chapter 13. You ain't going to get it. Start in Genesis 1 through 11. It's easy, man. It's a story of the flood in Cain and Abel in the Garden of Eden. It's easy. Read the book of Ruth. It's a great love story. The Psalms are incredible. The Proverbs is full of wisdom. Read the Gospels. It's the story of the life of Christ and If the King James Version messes you up, go to a new King James Version. They just take the British brogue out of it. Thou and thou shalt and what have you. But spend time. If you want to be right with God, if you want these things to become your core, you have to spend time with God. You have to spend time reading and studying the Bible. And God help me get the point across. But you have to spend time And meaningful prayer. Prayer that means something. I'm not talking about all this frivolous, repetitive business that don't say a word. God scratching his head and trying to figure out what in the world are you talking about? And you don't have to talk to God like you live in London. Oh, thou gracious heavenly Father, thou art so wonderful. Shalt thou ever just talk to him, man. Say, I believe if you're, don't go this far. But if this is your a kind of a Jeff Arnold type thing, those of you who heard him teach, hey, dude, if that's how you talk, talk. You don't have to change into some theologian to talk to God. You didn't when you received the Holy Ghost, did you? Who had a PhD when you got the Holy Ghost in spirituality and theology and on how to talk to God? And now, 20 years later, you can't talk to Him because you can't do all of that anymore. Meaningful prayer. You know when you tell your spouse, I love you, when it has meaning to it or not, not just because they said it. I love you, honey. You are so wonderful. I love you too. Boy, that will move a mountain, won't it? Boy, I can't wait to have dinner with you tonight. Meaningful prayer. Talk to God like your heart feels. Let it come out of your mouth. Forget all of this. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I know people that pray that way, and it drives me insane. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. What would you think of Brother James comes in and Sister Sarah says, where have you been? Walmart, 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 Walmart. You don't have to do that, man. Talk normal when you talk to God. Meaningful prayer. time. Take time. Take time to reflect on the goodness of God. I'm not, I'm not nearly done and my time's up, but take time. Have you ever, the, the praise team used to sing a song and I know it's like trying to move a mountain to get them to sing. Anyway, when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, take time to, to spend, spend some time just reflecting. On the goodness of God. Look at your house. And why don't you not give yourself quite so much credit because you live there, but because God provided that. Look at your car and your job and your health, such as it is for some of us, maybe. But hey, we still have both feet flat on the ground on this side of it. I'm glad I'm not laying down on the other side of it. In a nice little cozy casket. And the worms crawl in and worms crawl out and the worms play pinochle on your snout then you turn a slimy green I won't finish I'm glad to be on this side of the terra firmer, that's dirt and it don't have an R on the end that's just my Mississippi bro coming out in me even though I'm not from there but my mom is but spend time reflecting on the goodness of God and then And I'm going to be very careful right here because this can go in any kind of direction. And don't anybody take it out of context, but learn how to hear the voice of God. People say, God never speaks to me. You know why? Because you're not listening, bonehead. He speaks to you 25 times every day. and you—you. It's kind of like the marriage thing again. I was looking for the microphone tonight. And I walked up there and Brother Merrill was trying to tell me that he had it. And I didn't hear him. So he came back and he said, I have your mic. And I said, well, I'm sorry I didn't hear you. And I said, I've been married a while, you understand. God has given men this little unique feature. There's a little switch in the ear, and you click it off, man. But women don't require it like men do. Because it's a proven fact that men talk half as much as women you don't get tired of hearing men talk. But boy, <laughs> just shut up for five minutes. Bunny, you listening? Yeah, what did I just say? Well, let me see. <laughs> just hope I guess right. Anybody been down that road before? <laughs> God, if you would speak to me right now and just tell me what she said, it would save my marriage. (laughs) That's right. That's what God would say. I didn't hear it either. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'll preach right there, buddy. But you would be surprised how many times God speaks to us in one way or another throughout the course of a day and we never hear it, never acknowledge it. Almost like God says, I'm talking to you. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Learn to hear and see the voice of God as often as he will speak to us. God will speak to you in the beauty of a flower. He'll speak to you through the song of a bird. He'll speak to you through a clap of thunder. He did me just the other day. Sister Murphy pulled up and I pulled up to church. And just as I got out of the car, buddy, that that thunderhead had to be under the canopy. It wasn't on top. It was under it. I about died. I promise you I had three heart attacks and they had to resuscitate me eight times. I, I thought I was going to just jump somewhere. But you can hear... The voice of God, if you're sensitive to it. It's the same in marriage. There's a lot of little things that your spouse will do for you that says, I love you and I care about you. But you don't always see it and you don't always hear it. And God does the same thing all day long. He talks to you. He speaks to you through all kinds of different mediums. If we'll just just hear it. Let me, man, this clock is never a friend. God gave, or David gave high priority to his walk with God. When Uzzah was smitten for touching the ark of God and died, it bothered David that it displeased God. He wasn't happy about that man. When David numbered the people, he sought to regain favor with God. This was the core. This is character manifested. This is what David was on the inside. It wasn't his preference, but he wanted to please God. He wanted a heart that went after God. David was right in his relationship with his fellow man. I don't have time to go to 1 Corinthians 12, 19 through 26. But David wanted to be right with his fellow man. Let me conclude with this. David's relationship was incredible with Jonathan. Jonathan was someone higher than him. Jonathan was a son of Saul. Jonathan had a clout that David didn't have. And David always sought to have a right relationship with Jonathan. He sought to have a right relationship with God and now with his fellow man. And Jonathan, he wanted a right relationship with him. Jonathan was someone higher. don't have time to go into it, but I think you get the point. David wanted a right relationship with Mephibosheth, someone lower. David wanted a right relationship with Saul. You can find twice in the book of of, I believe it's 2 Samuel where David called out to Saul twice and the Bible said he spoke to him as a friend. This is my most worst enemy. He's trying to kill me and David still tried to work out the relationship with him. David wanted a relationship with Saul even as an enemy. So someone higher, someone lower, an enemy... And now David wanted a right relationship with his son Absalom. And even though Absalom was doing some horrible, horrible things, David still tried to protect him. He told Joab that morning when Joab took a group of men out to find Absalom and to bring him back so he could go through a judicial process for what he had done to David in usurping the throne away from him. Joab ultimately killed him. But David said, be careful with my son. I don't know if you folks are hearing me or not, but our core as Christian people should be first and foremost to be right with God no matter what. Not based on our preferences, but based on what he wants us to be. No matter what that is, I'm going to be right with God. And I'm going to be right with my fellow men. Someone of higher state that I can benefit from. Someone of lower estate that I get no benefit from. An enemy. And my son who has betrayed me. I just want to be right. I want to be right. It's character manifested. Stand with me tonight. I trust that tonight and last Wednesday night has been a blessing. This isn't something to enhance your knowledge. It's something to practice. It's something to live. It's something to gain. It's a goal to reach for. If this isn't who you are, then you practice it long enough and you'll become that. You'll become that. So I'm going to ask you to take it to heart tonight. we have got to be right with God God's way. we have got to be right with God God's Let's pray and ask for God's help. Jesus, we love you tonight. We're thankful for the ever probing, ever digging Word of God that takes us to you. The Word of God takes us to you and to who you are. It reveals who you are. But it also takes us to us, to who we are, and you reveal to us who we are. I pray, God, tonight that this church could truly take on the nature of God in every way, in our desires. Our destiny, our future, our conduct, our speech, our thoughts—help us, God, not to not to give in to our preferences and to our own desires. But God, we want to be like you. We want to be like you. We want to be God-made people. In Jesus' name, before you're before you leave tonight, help me spread the word. We fixing to do. We'll be doing some media stuff. Uh, hopefully, this coming Sunday.